Welcome to Kick the Piss Podcast with your host Jason, where we talk all things about getting sober, where we can chat freely and have a laugh at the stupid stuff we have done. Now it's time for Kick the Piss. Welcome to kickthepiss.com, podcast number one. So I'm Jason, the founder and lead coach at kickthepiss.com. Really today is all about you getting to know a little bit about Kick the Piss and kickthepiss.com. We're real people that are really here to help and really here to make a difference in, in the lives of people that are struggling with drinking. Because uh, I actually, actually believe there's a lot of people out there in this space that, that do genuinely want to help, but they're not reaching the people that I'm trying to reach, the people that are like you. If you're listening to me, you're, you're my audience because um, generally I find a lot of the, a lot of the, the people in the healing spaces are about, about trauma and, and about, and I guess about healing the past. Well, I'm not really about healing the past, although, although the past plays an important part of our journey and where we've come from. And we have to acknowledge that the past has in some ways messed us up and we are a product of our our past. But that being said, kick the piss is about, is about just kicking the piss. It's not about kicking the piss and having a whinge. It's about manning up or womaning up or just leveling up, leveling up your life to a point where you can go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my life because when you're drinking and, and doing other things and taking drugs and whatever you're doing, you, you, you're actually not happy with your life because you, if you were happy with your life, you wouldn't need to escape it. So that being said, kick the piss is all about you finding a way and finding your happiness. I just want to welcome you with that. It's pretty big intro and it's a pretty big full on intro, but I just want to welcome you to the kick the piss podcast and, and realize that you're on a journey and the journey is going to be, I would say some days good, some days bad, but overall the destination is worth, is worth the journey. When things are tough and when things are hard, realize that you're worth it. And that would be my message. My main message is that you're worth fighting for. So welcome to the podcast. And I'd just like to talk about my vision. Like I have briefly spoken about my vision, but my vision for Kick the Piss is to start like a movement, a movement of people that are proud and sober and, and are just happy to be themselves. Yeah, you know, I, I wear this get up out in public these days and people ask me about it and people are, are talking about it. And the more that I'm going to wear it and the more that I am wearing it, the more awareness and the more that people are able to talk about it. Because for a lot of us, myself included, when I was struggling in my, in the, in the really bad times of addiction and drinking really heavily yet and drinking to a point where it was affecting me emotionally, physically, financially, and relationships and everything. It was, it was affecting my whole life, but I found it difficult to talk about it to anyone. 
to even bring up the conversation to say, fuck, I need help. And I think as men and as well as women, like we, we don't want to admit that there's parts of our lives that aren't working for us. So it's hard to say, oh, look, I'm fucking up here because on one hand, you've got all these things and all these judgments from the community about, about whether or not you're an alcoholic and all these labels. And if you say that you're an alcoholic problem drinker or whatever, that what it's not about the labels, you know, it's about what alcohol is doing to your life. And if alcohol isn't serving you, alcohol has to go. It's just like if uh, chocolate cake, chocolate cake's got to go. But the problem is in our community, alcohol is held in a different regard than say heroin. If you're a heroin addict, people, people are going to look at you like you're a heroin addict and go, oh well, shit, there's something wrong with you. But if you're a problem drinker, if you're coming home and having a couple of bottles of wine tonight, nobody's going to give a shit because that's just normal. Everyone's doing it. And if you don't drink, you're the one that's abnormal. But I would argue that the people that are getting pissed every night are the abnormal ones because they're escaping their lives. I'm not against alcohol at all. I'm not against people drinking and I'm not against people having one or two drinks. What I'm against is people escaping their lives through any form of addiction, because while you're escaping your life, you're not living your life. And while you're not living your life, life is passing you by. And, and, and the thing is, every day that you get pissed is one day that you've lost because you weren't there. I spent 25 years pissed every day. So I've wasted 25 years and I can look back at those 25 years and go, like, it feels to me like a whole nother lifetime ago. And, and in some ways it is. And when I think about it, I think, what could have my life been if I wasn't, if I wasn't that, if I wasn't that al alcoholic or whatever, but we'll go into that and further along. But I ask myself, what could my life have been? And that's okay to ask those questions and reflect, but it, you don't want to live there either. Because if you live there, what's going to happen is you're just going to feel shit about yourself and yeah, and that's going to create another problem. So it's a, so it's something to think about anyway, but I also know now that I'm not living there now. I have a choice now and you have a choice now. It doesn't matter how far along in your journey you are, you always have a choice. And I think I went off in a little bit of a tangent, but if I haven't fully addressed the, the, the main point is that my vision. So my vision is to create a global movement of people that are proud to be sober, that people that are, that want to just stand up and say, I'm sober and that's okay. And it's okay to talk about alcohol problems and it's okay to ask for help. So that's my vision. My vision for this is a vision for where people can say, I need help, help me and build a community where the community helps each other. So it's not about me. It's about the world and it's about each and every one of us helping each other and being a voice and being, and being a sounding board for the vision so that we all as a community can come together. So I've got a Facebook group called kick the pits 
community Facebook group. And I, I ask you to, to come into that community, to join that, to join that community and become an active part. It's only just started, but eventually it'll grow. And each and every day and, and each and every person that comes in is a valuable piece of that community, no matter where they are on their journey, because we're, we're together, we're, we're going to, we're going to build this to so, so that we can all be together in sobriety. And then we can be happy with our lives because at the end of the day, what's the point of just existing? So what's the point of just working your ass off to pay bills and then die? There's got to be more. There's got to be, there's got to be a bigger vision for life. And I, I, there's a guy called Sam Guru and they, they, somebody asked him, well, what's the purpose of life? And he said to live. They're like, he said, what's the purpose of a rock? To just to be a rock. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. And I think I've, I, in a lot of ways in my life, I've overcomplicated my life. I like thinking, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Like trying to find something that, that I was here for. And sometimes I really struggled with that. I have really struggled with that. Really struggled with the whole making money and paying bills and all that sort of stuff. But that's even after I got sober. So getting sober is only step one. Yeah. So that's my, my vision. And the purpose of why I'm here is to help you get sober. I want each and every person that's listening to this to go, yeah, if that dickhead can do it, I reckon I could have a crack and I'm not special. I've had a lot of help and I've been very blessed to still be alive. Now it's time for me to give back. And the recipient of that is going to be you. Each and every one of you are like, I've got a wealth of knowledge. Like I've got all this knowledge and I'm so clever and blah, blah, blah. But what's the point of me thinking I'm clever if, if I'm not helping anyone? So that's what I want to do. My purpose is to help you get sober. That's it. The, the, the bottom line. I want to help you get sober. But I can't make you sober and I can't get you sober. I can only help you. Because getting sober is a, is a you journey. I can show you the way. I can hold your hand. I can walk with you. But at the same time, you have to do it. You have to want to do it. Because getting sober, everybody's looking for the, the latest hack and the latest trick and all that sort of stuff. And I've studied hypnosis and NLP and life coaching and all these different things, looking for the answer. I was looking for an answer to why I was here, why my life was fucked and what's the point of it all. And the more that I looked, the more that I realized the point of it all is just to be happy, just to be you, just to be a father, just to be a mother, just to be a son, just to be a daughter, just to be, as Sanguru says, the purpose of a rock is just to be a rock. Purpose of you and I is just to be. And what does that look like from a day-to-day basis? Who knows? It's whatever you decided to be. And, and that is why we're got kicked the piss. It's not about some magic thing that I can pull out my bum to make you cure you. 
I could do hypnosis on everyone and, and but the people that are pe peddling that stuff, they're peddling short-term cures to make money. And of course, everyone wants to make money, but realistically, you, you, you're not going to cure anyone in six sessions or whatever. This is a journey that you've got to buckle yourself in for. And that's not me just trying to shore up what I am. It's about you. And there's a lot of resources out there that, that are completely 100% free that you can go to. I recommend everything, every resource that you can get your hands on used to the best of your ability. I can point you in the direction of all those, and I'm more than happy to do that. And that's my why. My why is to get you sober. My why is to get you sober, but by helping you and by me blabbering on about this shit every day, it reinforces it to me that I have to be the example. So by me helping you, I'm helping myself. And by me walking around with kick the piss on my shirt, I look pretty silly walking around with a bottle of bourbon or all coming over and getting pissed. It's about me being accountable to myself and it's about me being me. I've been toying with the, with the gear for a little bit and just trying different things, but overall I'm going to be all, all night and all my tops, all my t-shirts and the hat and all this, I'll wear this all the time. That's what I'm about. That's who I am. And I'm here. How did I get here is the story. So my story, yeah, here we go. Brace yourself guys for a, what do they say? So the names maybe may have changed or blah, 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 right, to protect the innocent and guilty. But if any of the innocent or guilty are listening to this, I have no, I have no malice and I have no. Yeah, I have no malice or I, like I have no anger or anything anymore. Uh, it's all gone. If, if you're listening to this and you're included in this story, I just want to thank you for being you and being part of my journey and, and helping me learn because I believe everything that has happened to me has taught me something. Yeah, I've made mistakes, but that's also taught me something. So that's why you got to look at it that way. Like it's important to look at your life as a journey of learning, but also a journey of growing, because if you're not growing, you're dying. Let's go through my story anyway. So I just wanted to put a caveat in there because sometimes people can listen to this and go, because some of the people in the story are still alive and will probably listen to this. And I don't want to make it about blaming or hurting people because the story is what it is. And the past is the past and I've forgiven the past and the past is gone. I believe in living today and living, to, living today so I can create a better tomorrow. I was born in a hospital, as most people are. And, and when I was born, my mum got reasonably sick. And for my whole early childhood, I was in and out of uh, foster care and different sort of homes and different sort of places that were institutions or whatever you want to call them people's homes and different, yeah, so different. Yeah. I wasn't with my mum a lot of the time. And when I was with my mum was sick on and off to varying degrees. Sometimes he was in a wheelchair. Sometimes she wasn't, you know, it was to say it was easy was, would be a lie, but it is what it is. We were quite economically poor and we lived, yeah, we lived in a pretty ordinary town called Cranbourne. You may have heard of it. Yeah. Pretty ordinary town with nothing special. 
I went to school. My, in terms of that, I tried, and then there was also, I guess, I was a difficult job, you would say. Being a father now, I understand. I understand that children are, di- are more difficult to deal with than, than you realize, but you don't realize that at the time. Oh. So on reflection, I was probably an asshole. So I was pretty bad, but that was probably because maybe in a lot of ways I was, I felt different and, and they say in Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm not all like, I'm not going to bang on about Alcoholics Anonymous, but we as children, we always feel different, but who knows why, why I felt different. I, I felt, I was very shy, very introverted, very scared. And I just really didn't, didn't know my place in the world. And my father was an alcoholic when I was a bit, yeah, when I was a bit older. So, this is, so we've got up to about, I don't know, I don't know, roughly about 10. My dad was away for a period up until that point between like, I think he came, came into my life. So when I was younger, my mum and dad lived together and then, then they had an argument split up when I was about three. And then I didn't see my dad until I was about eight. and. Then, then my dad moved into a high rise units, various high rise units and very rough neighborhoods where alcoholism and drug use and all that was just really rife and it was a dangerous place. But at the time it was just normal. And I used to go and see my dad quite often. And yeah, you know, I used to just go and scam the money out of all the old drunks. And when I say old drunks, I'm talking about old park bench drunks that used to shit themselves and piss themselves and just really fun stuff. So it was pretty bleak. My dad was uh, drinking very heavily. He used to drink two liters of, it was two liter big bottle. I don't know, sherry or some shit. McWeary's sherry or something. And used to drink that. So I used to drink, yeah, two liters of that. And what you used to the funny thing is he used to send me over the street when he wanted it with a note to say, can you, can my son buy his two liter bottle of alcohol and the shop he used to sell it to me. I remember it was six bucks for a big two liter bottle, six bucks. Yeah. That'd be, imagine that now you'd be getting pissed all the time, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I used to go over there and they'd all be pissed. They'd all sit around and piss, piss themselves and tell me to shut up and watch television, then talk shit and say how clever they were and how they saved the world and the usual drunk talk. But that was just normal to me. In a lot of ways, that experience probably extended my stay in alcoholism or heavy drinking longer than it should have, because I was actually, as a child, seeing extreme, the, the extreme end of drinking. Extreme. So it wasn't just, oh, one or two beers and getting pissed and talking shit. There was people shitting themselves and pissing themselves all the time. And that was a regular thing. It wasn't like one off. And they were all old Darrows that, that, you know, that were in public housing and just, it was bad. And then I would come home and to my home with my mum when I, and she would, she would be in various degrees of disability and I'd have to support her in that. So that, and that was also very challenging and difficult, 
but also it taught me like life skills. There's always a positive. In between those two, those are my two extremes, either being a carer. I suppose I was a carer in both areas because I used to go and do cleaning for my dad and stuff like that. And I'd get money, of course. Like I wasn't doing it because I wanted to care. I was just, they used, cause they were pissed. They'll be like throwing me heaps of money. So I thought it was great. And at the time I did think it was great. And I don't know, like on point layer, but like I said, upon reflection, that sort of gave me a distorted view about what alcoholism truly is, because I saw where like there's alcoholism and then there's that, that's like park bench stuff. And that was my, I guess that was my point where I said, oh, I didn't even say anything like in my head, but that was my point where I, where my benchmark of what an alcoholic was, but as whether or not you, you say you're an alcoholic, I have alcohol use disorder, or have a problem drinking, or you're a binge drinker, the label doesn't matter. And I don't believe in labeling. Yeah. So that, that was that. And I just, as I got older, I was going to school and when I was going to school, I was basically a bit of a nerd and excluded really from most friendship groups. I had a few friends, but really that wasn't like, it was a struggle for me to fit in really and make friends and be part of any community. And I guess that's been a theme for my whole life is that I, that I do struggle sometimes to be like, to be social and that sort of stuff. Cause I am shy, you know, even though I do all this stuff out like, and, and I can do it, but I'm just here in my office with a computer. Like I am shy and I do have trouble being, being out there and stuff, even though I am. So I did struggle and I was, I was the fat kid that everyone picked on and I got into a lot of fights and. I struggled between being the fat kid that everyone picked on and being the bully that bullied everyone because I was hurting. So I was hurting inside. So I hurt others and others hurt me. And I guess it's just the cycle, isn't it? And then when I say so that was mainly primary school. And when I got into high school, I started to do right. Cause I've always been academically bright, but never really to a point where where I thought I don't want to go to university or anything and that sort of stuff. Went through school, just normal, still very isolated and struggled socially. So my, 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 my social, my social life in school was pretty, was pretty, well, it was non-existent. I had a few friends and that's about it. And that's about all I could say about that part of it. And going through that, I was very, like I was. No, like I was a nerd, but a freak. So if you've seen freaks and geeks, I was probably one of them. Oh, well, that's what it is. Yeah. But I was academically bright. So I, I don't know if I want, if I really ever, ever chased that or ever embraced that. I just coasted through and I used to enjoy English. English was always my favorite. Maths. Yeah. I can't do maths. And but overall, I enjoyed learning and I always have enjoyed learning and reading and learning new things and that sort of thing and, and expanding my mind. But I never really, like I said, I never really embraced it when I was in going to school. That was that, I guess. And so, and then as I got up, got up through the years, year seven, yeah, I did all right. 
year eight, I went off the rails a little bit. I think I was just playing up, just getting into fights and stuff. Nothing that I can really remember. I think it was just, I started to come good and maybe year 10 or yeah, 10, nine or 10, I managed to get an opportunity to go to Mount Everest and walk around the trails and in the Himalayas and go through Namchi Bazaar and all the different, basically just trekking, but not, no climbing, just trekking, which is just walking up and down hills and seeing the different sites and seeing Mount Everest and seeing all the monasteries and that sort of stuff. And I think it was about three weeks. So it was a very good opportunity and I was very lucky and very blessed and probably upon reflection, I didn't really appreciate it as much as I should have, but that gave me a different perspective on life. I didn't really change who I was too much, but when I came back, I, I thought that I should take on a leadership role within my community. So therefore I went into the student representative council and I did that sort of stuff, but I don't know, it wasn't really for a purpose. I guess it was just more out of me sort of feeling like I had to pay something back. I had, but there was no real purpose behind it. So therefore my output, there wasn't really one there. I was just there. And we, I think a lot of it was just a waste, a waste of time upon reflection now where I think, oh, that was a waste of time. At the end of the day, it was just go and every now and again, decide and have a free dress day and giving the old boys and girls and an opportunity to come to school in free dress and make a couple hundred bucks, you know, pay a charity and stuff like that. I don't know, but it was a good experience and it taught me a lot about leadership and stuff like that. And in, in that time I had, I was in very interested in politics and I had, like I aspired to have a role in politics and, and have a role just a leadership role of some description, but I never really pursued that. Like I, I did a work experience with the local member of parliament. I went into parliament and learnt when the parliament was sitting in the local Victorian parliament and got to see a lot of behind the scenes stuff that people don't see every day. And yeah, I got to meet a few of the, like I got to meet the primary here at the time and yeah, it was really cool. And I really. That's something that I really enjoyed. And I still today, like I still today, I still have an interest in politics. I don't like, you know, have a real interest, but it's just like a, like I'm interested and I keep abreast, but I don't, I don't obsess about it. I don't really obsess about any news to be honest, but yeah. So that, that, yeah. So where am I going? Probably. Yeah. And then year 11, I became the president of the SRC only because I wanted to be the president, I guess, and be the number one. And at the game, there was no real purpose. I got through year 11 and in my infinite wisdom, I decided that I didn't want to go to and do year 12 because I thought it might be too hard or I thought, what's the point? I might as well just go and earn money. And my mum said, but well, you can leave school and if you get an apprenticeship, so I was about 16 or something, walking down the street one day, a bakery had a sign, uh, apprentice baker, congratulations, I'm an apprentice baker. Starting at four o'clock in the morning and baking bread, basically, that was my life. Uh, I got an apprenticeship and worked there, worked in that bakery for about a year. And then the owner sold the bakery because he'd been there for a long time. And then I was still living with my mum at the time. And with, at that bakery, I met a girl and that was the first, like, girl interest or girl, girlfriend that I had ever. 
And so that was, that played out as you'd expect. And she was my girlfriend and we moved in together and for a little while and we lived together and then I guess I moved, well, before, before that I moved in, like I was going to the, her parents where she was staying with her parents and I was going to her house a lot and they said, move in here and pay us some money and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Cause I was eating there and all that. And I don't know, bit, like it was. Upon reflection, it was the wrong decision for me, but I guess we, hindsight's easy, but when it's really, at the time, it's, you don't realize when you're making these monumental fuck-ups. Yeah, I moved in with her parents and then we stayed there for a while. I struggled in that environment a bit because it was, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it was oppressive, but there was rules and stuff, but there was also no rules. So I started to get a bit of my independence, but before that, and all th throughout this part of the journey, I discovered my friend alcohol through different trying it and through different experiences and stuff like that. It, I found this elixir that made me feel normal for one. And it, if you've ever had that feeling, you know what I'm talking about. Just that, okay, things are okay now. And, and the, the sad thing is once I discovered that who I was and who I was becoming stopped and I became something else that I wasn't in control of or, or even aware of. But as we go through the story, you'll understand how that played out. We're up to where I'm living with my new girlfriend of the, of the time we were together for a while. I couldn't tell you how long uh, it was, yeah, we were together and we moved in together. And I was still, I was under 18 at the time and I rented a unit with her and it didn't go well, probably not nothing to do with her. It was more about me, me being a heavy drinker. I used to finish at 12 o'clock and drink a bottle of bourbon a day ish, give or take. And there was domestic violence involved from, you know, on my part. And something I'm not proud of, but it happened. I can't, yeah. And that alcohol made, I can't say made me do it, but it played a part. So that relationship ended and we moved out of that unit and there was money that had to be paid and stuff like that. And so I moved back in with my mum and then I was living with my mum and I think I ended up living in the garage and, um, I lived there for a while and then, then I think I met yeah when I was about 19 I met another nice lady and that relationship was pretty long term we lived together and for quite some time a lot of it's pretty vague to be honest I, like I'm mainly just brushing over I'd be lying if I said I I know blow by everything that happened in my life but I just know that we live together and we moved to Frankston. We lived in Frankston and we, we had a good time and we lived together. And then we were working, I was working, I got a new job in a supermarket where, where I've worked most of my career. And I used to do Sunday to, all right, yes, yeah, so Sunday to Thursday or something. Yeah. So Sunday to Thursday. And, and so Thursday night and Friday night, I used to go and get completely smashed off my head and go nightclubbing 
every weekend. I spent thousands upon thousands of dollars in nightclubbing. And I used to go to, before I went to the nightclub, I would go to the nightclub, even though I had a girlfriend at the time and I would go to the nightclub, I'd have a bottle of bourbon underneath my belt before I uh, went and I drink all night and till I pissed and shit up myself on the way. And yeah, it was messy. And yeah. And then that, then I, all through the week, we'd take weight loss pills to give me energy. So I, I could have lots of energy. I was abusing amphetamines at the time, which were weight loss pills. So le- legal amphetamines. So but it was still a drug, but oh yeah, I used to take them all that. So I got quite thin, but, and yeah, used to go nightclubbing and yeah, we didn't go together with my girlfriend and I, we didn't go nightclubbing together because there was always fighting because I was, I guess I was always looking for, I was always looking for validation of me through, I was getting pissed. So I'd have the confidence to crack onto birds, but at the same time I was at the nightclub to get validation that I'm okay by cracking onto beds and them going, oh yeah. But at the same time, I was there to get pissed. But there were times where I did cheat on my partner to various degrees in that experience. So, but we didn't go together because when we went together, it was messy because she'd be upset that I'd be looking at someone or, or I wasn't doing the right thing. I wasn't, I wasn't being a good partner. and. That being said, the relationship had a few bumps and and scrapes and, but through that relationship, we ended up with a a young man that, that is now quite old. He's not so young anymore. He's done really well and grown up to be someone that I hope can not be affected by, by this, but I can't control that. That's his life. And, but yeah, we had a young man together and. It was a beautiful boy and it was probably the bad, when he was born, that was probably the happiest moment of my life ever. And I promised myself that I'd never, ever let him down, but I did. Okay. And it's not okay, but it is what it is. Yeah. So overall the relationship was on and off and domestic violence was involved again. I was an abusive partner and it was probably a lot different than it is now that if I had have been person that I was back then, I would have been in a lot of trouble now because the laws are very, like very good to protect women. And so I, I believe that if I had have been that then I would have been in a lot of trouble and maybe that would have helped me to wake up, but no. So we, we separated and then I moved into a single unit, one bedroom unit by myself. I lived there for. A few, very few years, really. Like I was doing night baking and starting at one o'clock in the morning and I was coming, finishing about seven o'clock. So I was home about eight and then I'd drink all day and then go to bed and wake up and go to work and come home and drink all day and that sort of stuff. I was a functional alcoholic, if you could say that I was functional. Um, still doing the nightclub thing. And the funny thing is I used to come, come home and spend all day on the computer talking to people about the Bible of all things, because I thought that I was religious, not so much any point. I like, I don't bang on about God and stuff. You can believe whatever you want. It's not my thing. I believe that we're here, we're here to help each other and we're here to be good people and that's enough. 
Yeah. And lived, I lived that life, that lonely life really. And also I still had access to my son. My son still came over on the weekends, but yeah, I was still, yeah, I still had access to my son and then I was still seeing him on the weekends. So the whole nightclubbing thing dropped off and I was just looking after my son, not very well because I was getting pissed as well and then I'd have to work and things like that. So it was, yeah, it was a difficult time, but, but, but we somehow I got through and that's all you can do, isn't it? So we're up to the part where I'm living by myself. And then I uh, met another lady, you know, through the magic, magic, uh, powers of the internet it was a lot different now, now, or back then than it is now that the way that you met ladies, you used to have to look up and pay money and go through the profiles and click the pictures. I'd just get your phone out and click, but yeah, I met another nice lady and that was another relationship. We moved in together uh, very quickly, uh, got a house, got a nice house and yeah, we went well. And but then there was, obviously she didn't appreciate me getting pissed all the time. So she left and then I was working, working, I think I'm not sure of my working status at that time. I was in between jobs and then I got another job in a small bakery for a while or something. I don't know. but. And then I, so then she left and then I got another girlfriend, which was very young at the time. She was, I think I was 28 and she was 19 or 18. Well, there was a big age gap and, but I still had my son and it was, and that happened. And obviously I think we were together three years and we separated. And then in, in that time, my, oh, the door, the mother of my child, she moved all the way to, I was living in Frankston and she moved to Lilydale. So for, for me to have access, it was like an hour drive and it was really difficult somehow or another, in some magical way, I, I bought a unit in, in Croydon, which was in the area. So somehow it was, I don't know, it was a miracle that, I, that, I, that I was able to pull that off. Even to this day, I don't, the magic of, uh, finance, I don't, I don't understand when it happened. And so I bought a unit, lived there, lived there, you know, same old, drinking heavily all the time, just drinking all the time and just being, just being me. And then, but at the time I moved into management in the supermarket that I was working in, I tried, tried my hand at being a bakery manager a few times and always throwing me hat in the ring to try and, I don't know, maybe, I don't even know why I wanted like all, all the time I was always seeking validation, I guess that, but there was half of me in and half of me out. Like I wanted to be, wanted to be number one, but I didn't want to do what number one had to do. So it was really hard being a manager or a bakery manager at the time, because it was a really hard job in a supermarket. You don't have enough staff and the staff that you do have is shit. And you basically got to do everything and get paid. The pay was at the time was okay. Not going to say it was super, I guess they sweetened the deal by giving you a bonus at the end of the year. So yeah, if you did well, but I did that for a few years and then I'll, I'll, I don't know if I wasn't any good at it or I wasn't any good at the ability to manage people or the, I think overall, I think my problem was, is I hadn't had a real problem asserting myself. A problem with being, being a boss and bossing people around, 
these days it, it's no issue. I'd be like, yeah, just shut up and do it. <laughs> but back then I was like, oh, I don't really want to ask anyone to do anything and people are just doing whatever they want and, and I'm fucked. So, but that's what, that, that's that. And so I was like, I didn't perform well in my role as a manager because I was young and I wasn't sure of myself and I was still trying to find validation and I wanted to be a boss and I wanted to validate myself, but I didn't want to do the hard yards and learn. And as well as the fact that I was drinking all the time, if you're drinking all the time and you're dealing with that on a personal level, and then you've got this other shit where you're trying to learn and grow and yeah, emotionally, you're not, you're not, you're not in a good spot because you, your emotions are all screwed because you're drunk all the time. And when you're not drunk, you're hungover and it's not a good combo. That was that. And so then we, so I was, I worked, I worked with the company for a long time in different roles. And then, then I stepped back into a role of assistant manager and I had a few roles and then I'd try and step up again and try it again and do it for a little while and go, oh, that's not for me. But eventually I found a found it like I found a role where, where I could, where I could, where, where I felt that I fit in with people. I felt like it was a community and I felt that we, that it was good. It was a good environment. We joked and it was fun. And I was the assistant manager there or two IC or whatever you want to call it. And I felt like I, I found, you know, just a role where I could turn up every day, hungover and, you know, go through the motions and have a laugh and be happy and, and just do at the end of the day, I was just there to, I don't know, have a laugh and get a bit of pay and do a job and yeah. But in the meantime, yeah, that I was working there. And then I met, I met my wife, but she wasn't my wife at the time I met her, unfortunately. Yeah. She had two young children and I think for me. I saw her and I like, I was, I said to myself, I was instantly in love with her. No question. I don't know what she, she would say, but yeah, I saw her smile and I was like, oh, I got no hope here. I said to myself, I thought there's no way, there's no way I'm going to snag this one. I did. And I had an instant, yeah, like I had a family and with two very young children, which were like one and three, and then they've grown up with me. They're both teenagers now, so we've been together for over 10 years, 11, 12, 13 years. It's been a long journey, but the journey is still, so we're up to the part where we met. So I'm going to have to try and spin it up a bit, but yeah, we met. Basically, I would say that we were, from day dot, we were inseparable and, 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 and we were just, we just work so well. She's very much her own person, but she's a very much, we're very suited to each other in different ways. And, but at the time it was, she put up with my drinking and I still drank heavily or there's never been a time where I've eased up. It's just, I've always drank daily and to varying levels. And on the weekend, I'd obviously drink a lot more. So there's always been alcohol involved. So that, so the relationship is gone, gone along. We moved in together and things like that. And we lived together and we had a house and we've grown up together and we've grown and evolved together and we've been together a long time, but 
throughout that journey, my drinking was a problem. It was a drinking, it was a problem in many ways, but there was just, there were, I guess you would say the problems overall in the early days. And as I'd moved along, it was just, the problems were just stupid shit, piss on the floor or shit somewhere, or I don't know, pass out in the garden, all that sort of stuff. Like, but it was never really extreme. And so I just say it was tolerated, but I think towards the end of me getting to the point where I needed to stop, I think it was, I had to choose between if I had have kept drinking and that she probably would have left me and I wouldn't have blamed her. Being together a few, like say, from to say three quarters of the relationship, there was just normal stuff. Then my drinking ramped up and I was still working at the time. And at the time, one of my, one of my young fellas, he, he developed cancer and he was in, in the hospital with cancer treatment for a year-ish But so I was, uh, I, uh, we alternated between me staying in the hospital or me staying at home with, with my, with my other child and, or my other stepchild. And then we alternated between the two because someone had, was obviously always in the hospital with the young bloke and yeah, he, he went through true man and luckily enough for him, he, he survived and he's well and thriving now. He's hard work, but he's a good bloke and I'm proud of who he is. And, but at the time we weren't sure what was going to happen and yeah, so that's that. And yeah, so he survived and then basically we all come back and lived our lives just like normal. I was working in the bakery and living life. And then after my son got cancer, I decided to start a business, an online retail business. And cause I'd had a l- little bit of experience where I'd seen that in the past. And so I knew that there was an opportunity there. So selling stuff online. So slowly I built, built up a, a pretty big business while I was still working full time. And then it came to a point where I was working too much with both businesses that I had to cut back cut back and just work part-time and then I worked part-time in the bakery still and I guess that was probably where I was drinking even more and things got a little bit hairy and then I ran into a few problems and ultimately it ended up like I had to go to rehab so I went to rehab I've been to rehab four times and not always by choice Went to South Pacific private, which is like in Sydney, which is one of the real swanky ones. Went there twice. It was really different. It was, it was an experience. And then, then I went to some rehabs in Melbourne, which were less, I go, less, less intensive, but where I found actually the help that I needed to, to, to move my life forward. I'll go into that if, yeah. So all that time I was drinking and going in and out of rehab and trying to run businesses and, and chaos and drama issued in different levels. And then I, then I decided to change careers. So I changed careers and did some learning and found a different career and worked into that career. And then I guess I didn't like, it didn't real I didn't find I guess some of it was a little bit confronting for me. Some of the jobs that I had to do and it didn't really sit well with me. Ultimately, I left that career and just focused on working for myself solely. And that's what I do now. There's a little bit more involved, but I can't go too much into it. All I want to say is that 
but I've made mistakes. I own my mistakes and I'm sorry for my mistakes, but I am not my mistakes. And we have a very good relationship now with, with overall with my wife now that I'm sober and we talk and we have really deep conversations and she's someone that I trust and someone that I talk to and someone I share everything with and and it's good overall. And then the the two kids and the teenagers and they're, they're doing their thing and they're learning to, to uh, navigate the not drinking thing and the drinking thing. And I try to share my journey with them. Yeah. So, and then I guess that brings us to Neil and there's all, there's a lot probably that I've missed and a lot of stories that I'll share in the future, but I guess that's the real basic crux of it all, but I'm here now. I'm sober and I've been sober for a few years, but my sobriety isn't counted in the days or, or like in, I don't count it. I've been sober for more than a couple of years, but I'm not one to count the 365 or 366 because only time I can ever be sober is today. And the only time that I focus on being sober, you can focus on whatever you like. For me, it works. Just focusing on being sober now, not drinking now. Yeah. And when you, how I guess I did it was, yeah, oh, actually, well, what actually happens to everyone in different ways, life has a way of telling you that you have to stop, stop doing what you're doing. So for me, I had a stroke when I was 40 something and I was in intensive care and had the thing down my throat and I woke up and I was like, yeah. And they said to my wife that they weren't sure if I was going to be disabled or things like that. So that was one of the turning points where I was like, oh, okay. And I remember it was grand final day. I can't tell you what grand final was, but yeah, I woke up and grand final. Cause I, I, I was, I just woke up and I was having a stroke and went to hospital and I was, they put me out and away I went. So that was part of the journey, but that happened. Like I say, there's lots of big things that happen that I just probably miss. They'll come out in the past and, it, but it doesn't matter. It's, it came to a point where I had to decide whether I want my life, my family, or I want my alcohol. And you can't have both. You can, you can probably bullshit through for a little while, but at the end, in the end, you, you got to pay the piper. And at some point, if you drink heavily, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you're not Superman and you're going to get sick the end. And there's going to be consequences. You might not have any legal consequences or you might not be violent or you might not have any problems, but there will be consequences that will make you go, well, if you keep going this way, you know, it's not going to be good. You're going to die or you're going to get really sick or there's going to be bigger consequences than not, than let, than just leaving it. I guess. Yes. So I came to a point and I chose my family, of course, and that was my biggest why. So then I had to go to rehab again because I was physically dependent on alcohol and for quite a, the last two times that I was in rehab, I was really sick. And when I say sick, I was like seeing ghosts and people were talking to me and there was and I couldn't sleep at night and I was hearing voices and stuff. And, you know, like when you're really dependent on alcohol and take you some, to some crazy places. That's that. And so I stopped and still doing the 
still doing a little bit of working and working away. And then as I've gotten sober, I started just solely working for myself and just focusing on my online business. And that's gone reasonably well. And that's just ticked along in the background and it still ticks along today. And yeah, then that's what's that's happening. And that brings us to today. And so now I've started, started this business, obviously, and, and starting to, yeah, starting to help people. And I still, still run my online business and I still, you know, do a few other things on the side, but ultimately my, my aim is just to help people and be sober really, and just not drink. So been a pretty long podcast today. I'd just like to thank you if you're still listening and I'll probably leave it here. I had a few other things that I was going to put in, but that's cool. Yeah, maybe we can do that another time. But I do want to actually just say that I've put together, put together a Kickstarter guide. I mean, there's a few mistakes in it, but it's just a real, just, it's a free, a free Kickstarter guide. If you want to get an idea of where to start stopping drinking, it's a good, I believe it's a good. It's a good place to, start. Oh, I believe it because I wrote it, but it's also, it, it, it gives you an idea of how, how you can look at things a little bit differently. So you can get that at kickthepiss.com and I really employ, like employ you just to, just to download it, whether or not you want to do anything with me or have some coaching with me or whatever, it doesn't matter. I just, I, I just want you to have it so then you can look at it and go, okay, cool. At least, at least give yourself that an opportunity just to say a different perspective. There's lots of books out there and there's lots of ideas, but everyone's got it, got their idea. I just know what worked for me. And so I would just put it like a small, I would, I originally would just wanted to do just like a, a small little one page tick off sheet. But, but as I was writing it, I was like, what, what, what do I want to say to someone that wants to stop drinking and, and ended up being about seven pages, but it's not heavy reading and you can go through. So that's the, the podcast for today. So welcome very much for episode one of the podcast of kickthepiss.com. If you enjoyed uh, listening to it, add us to your favorites. When we're going to upload, I'm going to try and do one a week at this stage. I'm not sure of the length. I'll probably aim for an hour and we'll see how we go. I've got a few guests lined up in the future where we can talk about their, their journey and how they, how they've overcome their struggles and all people that are struggling or different perspectives on the thing overall. So thank you very much for listening and you've been listening to kickthepiss.com and, uh, episode one. Wow. We, we finally, yeah, got it out and I'd love to hear some feedback guys. Thank you very much. Remember, download your free kickstart guide. Okay. Thank you. Peace out.